0: Ah, right, it's time for another episode of Security Decoded. This week you have me in the studio, and we have John and Dennis via Skype. They're via Skype this week because we're in the middle of the Snowmageddon on the East Coast, uh, but actually ends up being with not a Snowmageddon at all. And uh, we have yet another, of course, Java update from Oracle. And we have Evernote doing a password reset for 50 million people. All that and more coming up on Security Decoded.
1: to this week's security decoded i'm here with john and mike and i guess the first news that we have is the snow uh how are you guys surviving the snow what
0: snow yeah what snow
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I survived,
0: well, uh, we were saying 20 inches last night before we went to bed and i got this morning okay. and had a little bit of snow but through the day it's gotten less and less because it's just raining
1: it, Yeah, it's, it melted as fast as it came for me i got pretty lucky yeah me too now, we have a colleague who sent us a, a pic today, uh, and boy, he, he's got about 20 inches on his car. I hope he doesn't try to drive it anytime soon.
0: Yeah, he's lucky he gets to work from home. I just like let that all melt by Saturday or Sunday, and then, then go out. Yeah.
1: And and the snow is why you see us on Skype. Uh, we uh, we didn't know what kind of weather we were gonna get. So, uh, John and I are on Skype, and Mike is in the studio. When you guys have the, the, uh, the,
2: um, if I'm a little quiet, I'm, I try to keep myself on mute because I'm also fighting off a cold, so um, to to keep from bombarding you with the coughing um, will be a little bit of a delay as I come in and out of
0: mute. Yeah, and that's what Skype's designed for, to keep your colds away.
1: (laughs) John, you're
2: still sick? (laughs) Take
1: that. Well, I guess one of the the other besides the snow is the uh, RSA. What, What have you guys heard from the RSA? A lot of the uh, articles that we have this week are going to be uh, vendor news coming from those. And, uh, in fact, it's a little light on the news headlines this week.
0: Yeah. Everybody
2: seems to be, compared to last year, fairly quiet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard some vendor announcements. That's about the most I've really heard. I haven't really talked to anybody that went to see if there's anything, you know, really good this year or not. But RSA is always, you know, generally pretty good.
1: Yeah, and we should see lots of uh, news items, follow-up news items coming from that.
0: Yeah, lots of announcements, I'm sure.
1: Okay, well, if you are watching right now, you're watching us live, and you can watch us record Security Decoded every week live. And while you watch, you can join the chat room uh, with other live viewers. And Mike, are you monitoring the chat room?
0: I am monitoring the chat room, yes.
1: And the chat room's in front of us, so while we record, we'll be able to uh, interact with you. And our first article is, um, I know it's going to be hard for you guys to believe, uh, but Oracle issues an emergency Java update.
0: I'm telling you, we, we need to have a segment every week, the, What what's new in Java this week?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know, it, it kind of follows along the, the lines of uh, any publicity, I guess is good publicity after a while. You, you got to kind of get worried about the uh, the boy who cried wolf, right? People get so numb to it that, um, you know, and I, I think that's the worst thing that can happen is, is people get so numb to this just constant issue with Java that they they almost come to expect it. And I, I think that's probably the biggest danger you can make is, is, is to get numb to this when people should actually, you know, stay very in tune with this.
0: Yeah, and, and not just numb, they become complacent. They basically say, you know, whatever, just, they don't stop using it. I don't think they realize that they need to, if there's issues like this, they probably shouldn't be using it until those issues are fixed. So, I'm
2: yeah. um, in the article Security, the Yeah, um, they, I mean, they, in the article that Crimson Security releases on the Java update, um, it, it just goes to speak to um, why Java is so important and why you can't just let it fade into the background. Um, Java was built for its cross-platform functionality. Um, it, it can in fact several different platforms because that's what it was designed to do was to be able to work across different platforms easily
1: you know i thought there was an interesting point to that article by Krebs. Um, it said that java somehow ended up on 80% of the consumer systems you know it's uh, you, that was i guess developers liked it and moved it over and it was cross platform and i guess that's why it ended up to be so popular
0: well, yeah, it's like it was a free open source technology. So the developer could develop with it. And is other operating systems start to include it, like Windows, to start including it in Apple and it's on Linux. It's everywhere. It's just the one thing you can count on being there across the operating system. You don't have to worry about installing um, you know, the libraries from Microsoft. You just know that it's there. I, I know um, I can speak from experience that um, when I was going back and getting my IT degree,
2: we were required to get a core language. And, the core language, they call it object-oriented design when actually it was Java. So, um, you know, we have a lot of people you know, their their education is based off of it. Um, it is a you know cross-platform product, it is lightweight, it is easy to use. Um, if I understand right Mike, it was based um, mostly for browsers and the web that was its
0: big intention right No not necessarily not not Java JavaScript is obviously a web okay, but yeah. Java has server components too it's been in web servers probably longer than it's been on a browser. I mean it's always been available in a browser to a, to a point but its focus has been a lot of server like uh, Apache has their own version that runs strictly it's basically a Java server that what it ends up being so it's used everywhere.
1: Um, I also did like there was a, a couple recommendations in that uh, article by Krebs said to uh, if you don't need it, don't, you know, obviously unplug it. But it also said to use a dual browser approach. So you could have a different browser with the Java, and then you could have one, a browser without the Java, and then the one without the Java would be where you would do most of your surfing and uh, your work. And then if you really had a program that really needed Java, just go to that second browser that you don't use very often.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly what I do. Actually, uh, I, use Fire, I use Firefox as a general browser most of the time. Yeah. Um, I want a Mac. Um, and then I use Chrome for anything that has Flash or Java in it because there's, they're built into the Chrome browser, and they're fairly sandboxed. But if I'm somewhere where I want to watch a video and I can't watch it in Firefox, I just bring up Chrome into it.
2: And I, I got to say, um, you know, because we do work together, um, I think we, we all do that. We, I tend to lean towards the browser um, that is customer-facing um, to the environment we, we support. And then, um, like Mike, I have two other browsers um, Firefox and Chrome, depending on um, what I'm using it for, what I'm looking for, but I, I try to keep the browser also on hand um, so I can you know, either reproduce an error or, or reproduce an infection on a browser that's customer-facing, but I, I tend to keep multiple browsers around also.
1: Uh, am I the only one who uses IE? Uh.
0: If you, I use IE at work. If you, tw- if, you twist my arm, if you twist my arm, I'll use IE, but, you know, uh, by default, no. In fact, I mean, I spend most of my time on a Mac except for, you know, when I'm at work. So even there, I use a Mac to do reverse engineering. So, yep. um,
2: my, my IE exposure is purely work. Um, it is my primary browser at work because, like I said, it's it's what we have customer facing. So I tend to I use the tools that are customer facing so I can um, quickly pick up on any impact
1: yeah, uh, I still use uh, IE as as a, a sort of uh, for most of my programs, uh, but I'm really beginning to like the Chrome. Uh, it just seems a lot safer and a lot more robust.
0: Yeah, I tend to use Firefox more than Chrome, just because of the debugging tools that I have installed. I know you can do some of that in Chrome natively, but yeah. I just, when I start developing, I'll start developing using tools that people were recommending, so it's kind of why I just stick to Firefox more than, yeah. than Chrome. There's nothing really wrong with Chrome. just what I like to use more. That's all.
1: Yeah. Well, let's go to the biggest uh, headline. I thought anyway that Evernote Evernote uh, forces password reset for 50 million users. And Mike, you said that you were affected by this.
0: Oh yeah. Actually, you know, I didn't know that they'd done this until I was trying to get into Evernote to get something. Is in a hurry for. I'm like, what do you mean my password doesn't work anymore? <laughs> I tried it. I tried it on my phone. I tried it on my uh, iPad. I tried it on the web browser, and none of them would work And finally, I went in and just did a reset. And then after I did that, later on I saw they made everybody reset. So I, I don't think I did a, a good job of letting everybody know what was going on. I didn't think they did, at least for me necessarily. But you guys use Evernote overnight too, right?
1: Yeah, I don't use it often enough. I didn't didn't notice about the pa- until I actually got the the note from Evernote to, to change the password. Uh, but you I, know, they have a lot of business customers, a lot of business uses.
2: Right, right, yeah. And I
0: didn't,
1: I didn't, um, I don't use it that much either. That I didn't notice until Dennis told me about it.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, also interesting, that, that um, article that we posted on our show notes um, You know, uh, it, it actually hinted at somebody at, uh, Something about passwords uh, at, the pa- at the top of the password no-no list Is uh, don't use your email password for any other site And I think that's pretty important A, a pretty easy thing to do
0: uh, actually, that's that's a very important thing. Um, you should never use the same password for your email as you do for your yeah. banks or anything like that, because they get oh, one, they can get in the other ones. You need to keep them separated. It doesn't mean you need to have a separate one for every single site, but I kind of group mine, you know. So, um, but never the. I have like four or five that I alternate, and each one means something different, like a different area of what I use things for.
1: Yeah, and you change I them from
0: I, ch- yeah,
2: yeah, I, 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 I generally change my my email password. Um, on a higher <laughs> frequency than I do anything else.
0: Yeah, I think that in my banking I change pretty regularly as well. Definitely email yeah. though, because I mean, and even doing like at some of the other shows I do, you'll see my email address in there and if you see anything that I'm doing, I want to make sure it's constantly changing, so. Yeah. That's the other reason.
1: Uh, you know, we've seen this before in other data tests. Um, so the data that was stolen was encrypted. Uh, so, Webernote says, "Well, you know, they've got it, but you know, can they real? Can the can the attackers get anything out of it?"
0: Right, and it was salted too. So, it was salted yeah. before it was um, put into the MD5. So, not very easily broken unless they get the salt. And the fact they made everybody change it, it was just preventative. That's better than them not trying to hide it, I think. And then something else being noticed as well. So, I think yeah. it no longer did the right thing by putting out the notice that they were, you know, something weird was going on.
1: Yeah. And if anything, it gets people to change their password. That's right. Uh, So this
2: next headline, and and as I was saying, that's a a habit that you really um, need to cultivate. Um, If, if, you know, you miss it once or twice, it's easy to fall out of it. And all it takes is just a compromise like this to remind you again that you should be doing it.
1: Good practices, safe practices. Uh, our next headline: Fake Mandiant APT report used as malware lure. Uh, that's from uh, IC Sense. Uh, so even Mandiant uh, puts out this great report. And now they're a victim of a of a phishing of a social engineer.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's somebody <laughs> took advantage of that, saying like, okay, you put this report out, we're going to use that and to get other people to think they're getting the same report or getting you know something similar to it. So and
2: it was, um, you know, it's it falls along the lines of like what Mike and you guys said. It's it's the hot topic. So um, it was, it was a hot enough topic that it actually made um, news broadcast media. So um, to expect an attack like this, um, I I think yeah, and um, I think what they were actually trying to do was, um, uh, you know, basically kind of almost thumb their noses back at the security community because you'll get smaller <laughs> firms with smaller you know um, IT support that's gonna go out there and, and try to grab it and, and they're gonna see you know who else can they catch sleeping on this and I think that's what they're trying to do is just catch some people sleeping um, and kind of you know, thumb their noses at them and say hey we we got you again
1: so there's always an element in the hacker community about uh, one-upmanship. Do you think this might have been part of it? I do. I really, I really think so. I do. Yeah. So, Mandiant's report the Olympics, uh, Christmas time, the holidays—is nothing safe for social engineering?
2: No, not, nothing <laughs> safe at all. Um, we actually just did a, an awareness topic for. Um, some people we were working for that talked about um Google glasses you know the new product Google glasses there is a phishing scam out there targeting them and it's actually a YouTube video and and they kind of copied um Google's advertisement and then snuck in their own links and they're trying to fish data by using you know the lure of Google glasses then you have the lure of Mandy and ABT i think these are all just you know, why try to create a lure to catch people when they're there? Just use them.
0: Yeah, actually, you know, I wasn't aware of that one. There's a Google Glass thing going on that says, basically it's a hashtag you put in and you said, what I would do with Google Glass, and they are giving away 1,500 more of them. Is that what that's around?
2: Yeah. So they're taking advantage of it, and what they're trying to say is is that um, you can become a part of the beta, and you can actually receive um, the product for free, know
0: it's one of those too good to be oh (laughs) free okay yeah yeah. no that wasn't what google was saying we'll we'll sell you one 1500 i think google's price is 1500 it's it's, it's 1500 but uh they had a limit what they were going to give out and then they were going to give out 1500 more of them but the price is 1500 dollars as well so yeah if they said free then yeah that's that's the catch yeah it was
2: and you know but it was um what was really good was is, is the fact that like i said it's you don't have to make up your lures they're there they just you know they they grab a hot topic like that and they actually use Google's video and they just kinda altered it slightly in the details and the notes of it but they didn't reshoot a video they use Google's
1: advertising.
0: Right, right.
1: And I think when you use the word free I think you're always going to
0: get some Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Most definitely.
1: Yeah I mean just it's
2: one of those cases where Mandiant's report got hot. So, you know, uh, why do we need to create a campaign when that campaign's being created for us? Let's jump on. Um, they utilized an existing vulnerability that was out there right now around PDF docu- um, PDF documents and uh, they took advantage of it because of the Mandiant report was so large it was being distributed by PDF. There was a known issue with PDF in the wild. Um, It was just all about right place, right time. They had an exploit that existed that they could take advantage of. They had a lot of visibility with Mandian on media. So, um, you know, they they put it out there and they caught some people.
1: Yeah. Most likely they caught security IT people too because uh, that report was not uh, for the faint of heart. That was an in-depth report.
0: That definitely was. You wouldn't give it to your parents to read, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> so our next headline, uh, Security Risk of Compromised Digital Certificates. That's from Trend Micro. Um, this one's bad. You know, whenever the a digital certificate goes, that, that can be a big compromise.
0: Yeah, and the scary thing is the certificates are supposed to protect you, and here somebody's compromising them. And when they do that, they yeah. pretty much can compromise anything the certificate's attached to. So this whole tool we've created to protect ourselves has been compromised at this point. It's,
2: it's more than that, it's more than the compromise. Um, you
0: know, once you're, one,
2: you run the huge risk of, um, while the compromise is running undetected, that's, oh, that's just, it's really scary um, to have yeah. a ticket go this undetected. And, and um, it's how far reaching. It can and can be felt, but it's actually recovering from something like this, like revoking a certificate. Depending on where you utilize certificate, how you utilize certificate, when you go to revoke a certificate and replace it, can be um, equally as detrimental, and it can cost um, companies a lot of money to recover from something like this.
1: Yeah, and um, I, you know the, the problem with this one is the malware was launched into the memory of the infected system. So no infected binary was actually dropped. That's um, it's so basically your uh, signature service is going to be out of the game. Then won't be able to pick that up.
2: Um, that and um, not only was was the memory infected, which is um, when you get infected memory, it's difficult to clean. But um, they were able to um, utilize a, a Java exploit. So once again, you know java pops back up and, and that's where um, third party patch compliance um, should really be uh, one of your priorities in your layered security for your environment. Um, you know, if, if you find the need for Java, you know, and like Mike says, if you don't have the need, disable it. But if you find the need, you got to really stay on top of your third party applications and make sure that they stay compliant also.
1: So, how do we find a malware that's launched in the memory? What, what, what have you guys found would be the best tools to, uh, to locate that? Uh, obviously, Trend Micro did come up with a signature pattern on it. Um, but if it's not a binary, that's, let's hope they can catch it.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things where if it's in memory, it's, and if it's injecting itself into another process, it sometimes is very hard for to detect it's even there. So, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: there there's a new one out there that um, it's an old technique, but a new technique which we're seeing a lot of. We're seeing um, tricks that were used in the past um, being revisited. Um, heap spraying is one, um, and that is a way of, of uh, injecting into memory and taking advantage of memory. But um, Uh, once they're in memory you know pulling memory dumps but if if you don't know if you haven't baseline what your your normal processes are um, it makes it difficult for you to pick up um, a memory injection usually most of the times you can pick up on that when you pull a memory dump um, that it's just extremely large Um, most things sitting up in your ram Uh, It should not take up a lot of space. Um, There are some cues that you can look for. There are some tools that you can run for memory dumps um, that can help you pull or help detect a memory infection.
0: Well, yeah, there's tools you can get memory dumps with, but um, a a real small application can be injected into memory and you wouldn't, I mean, it'd only be a few hundred bytes that can be doing enough damage. That's hard to find, very hard to find, yeah.
1: Do most uh, behavioral products? Pick up something that's so small like that if in the memory.
0: Uh, yeah, I would think so. Um If it's behavioral, you're going to see, especially if it's starting to call out. That's what I look for: is things it's doing that are not normal for application yeah. to do. So, yeah, I would think that most of them would probably pick that up. Um, but there's, you know, the heuristic stuff, what you're talking about. There's not many of them that can that are that I think are really really good. I've only seen a couple out there that are really good and are pretty high end stuff. But your typical um, home stuff doesn't. Normally, look for that kind of stuff.
2: Home users, yeah, home users are are probably the biggest victims, but um, large corporations that um, really invest into Layer. So, um, if it doesn't have a talk out and the um, infection is actually there dropping um, physical malware files, like what's seen here on the compromised digital signatures, that's where um, HIDS that we talked about last week come into play, where um, you know, you, you, you know what's being written to your computer, you know what your your baseline is, you know what your image is, and if you can detect changes to your OS on like a HIDs where you see file changes, um, you know, those can help detect that you have a change there, but um, you know, backtracking it to the memory, memory infections are usually really, really, really tough to find.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why you said about the layered security, that's the whole idea you do that, is you put things at the edge of your network that you know, IDS or things like FireEye, things that look at what's going on and can detect when something is in the memory that's calling out, so.
1: You know, I think that's a good uh, uh, intro for this next article by Trend Labs. Um, it says, understanding target attacks, how do we defend ourselves? And really, the, they, had, they broke it down to three parts. It said, uh, you know, you have to know what your network is doing on a regular basis. You have to really know it, so that way you can pick up any anomalies and then it also as you said Mike um it's got that layered uh defense and in fact what they did was break it down and say well you just can't have one layer you have several layers and that way you protect yourself within the uh, within the network itself in each layer
0: right and i think the layered approach is very important but that's what i was trying to say before is your average home user doesn't have layers in their home you know it's just a, a router to a pc generally or a couple PCs
1: that's so. right and whatever software applications you have defending your yeah. You know, there's a
2: lot of home John. applications that are actually trying to add that depth to it. Um, they're trying to add, like, web integrity tools. Um, they're trying to integrate, um, you know, different things other than just a, a file scanner. It's not just looking for hashes. It's trying to add some, um, some network layers to the tool to give people, um, you know, a, a little more depth than what we've seen in the past, because of the fact that you know we're we're well beyond that point. Um, you know that that date is come and gone, and now we're trying to play catch up with it. Um, you know, on, on large enterprises, yeah, we we've we've understood this. Um, you can't just do the eggshell approach anymore. You can't make the hardest eggshell in the world and say, okay, try to come crack me. Um, yeah, that could, security
0: is, that, yeah, that goes security. to life. a lot of networks you hear are there. They're crunchy on the outside, but soft on the inside, you know, because it's easy to actually get in. There's like nothing. There's no protection. So it's a layer is like one layer. So
2: and M&Ms, right?
0: Well, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. So, I mean, yeah.
2: you know, you, you got to do you got to do an approach from from the user to the net, right? You you got to if you're not layering from the user to the net end to end, um, you're going to miss something. and. And they go, you know, Trend Micro goes to speak to this. They really speak to the fact that you need great depth on your defense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, what this article kept uh, um, it, trying to hone in on. That depth is your best protection. And um, it's funny they gave a. Um, I've seen it before, but they give the circular uh, defense. Uh, but it also had included something that your gateways so. Your entry points can't line up, so you could have a straight shot into, uh, into your core. So, you know, what it did was lined up its entry points in different areas, uh, so that way you have that protection. It kind of reminded me of a video game I used to play, uh, Star Castles, I think, uh, where you had the defenses and you had to get to that core.
0: I don't know if I remember that game. But how
1: try. You had you to put up your defenses and they would come at you in waves
2: and then some would fly and some would be on the ground. That's right. You had to layer your defenses and, and, and catch them at certain choke points. I remember that game. That was pretty fun. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Trend, Trend Labs had another one about uh, uh, migrating, uh, mitigating targeted attacks. Um, and here we talk about APTs. Uh, this is going to be the hot topic, and I bet you there was a lot of buzz at the RSA conference about this.
0: Yeah, but you know, that's the whole thing. Is APTs aren't new. It's like they're the buzzword all yep. of a sudden, but they're not new. I mean, yes, it is. Yeah. So right,
2: I think it's um, APT was the buzzword because um, you know it was it was the great unknown. Um, they knew it was there. Everybody had a theory to it. But I think Mandiant is what really gave it some steam. Um, a lot of these blogs that you're talking about, like the depth of your security, um, mitigating targeted attacks, um, social engineering attacks. I think this is all just just big, big, big fallout from the Mandiant report. So yeah. the um, you know the, the targeted attack that they really made talk on was about advanced persistent threat, which. You know, was the the emphasis to the the mandate report, Um, but that you know, recently that they they had Isaca do a study on advanced persistent threat awareness. So, is that sixty sixty three percent of security professionals say that they were or could be a target of APT attacks? So, uh, there's a lot of security professionals that have done risk assessments on their their enterprise on their network, and they said. You, you know what we we have reason to be concerned, but um what's even most concerning is is that they're investing their protection in the wrong areas to help you defend against Apt. So as much as they want to say, yeah, we're a target for Apt, they're they're kind of going in the wrong direction. And this re- report really goes to speak to the study that says that, you know, how good are we as security professionals if we say, hey, I'm a target to it, but then I don't even know how to defend against it? And, and that, you know, that's a lot.
1: Well, you know, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the, none of those, or even RSA, didn't know how to defend against it properly.
0: Yeah, I guess so the question is, they only 60-some percent of them thought they were at, at a risk for it. I think in <laughs> some ways we're all at a risk for it, right? I mean, yeah. granted, not every yeah. company has... Information that's probably valuable to somebody, but ultimately, everybody's at risk for it. Because I mean, it well, depends. You know, Go ahead.
1: If you refer to that Mandiant report, it said every every business you could think of would be at risk.
0: Yeah, that's what I would think. I, that's why I didn't understand why it's only sixty percent of them thought they would be at risk. I mean, yeah, what what happened? What happened to the other ones? <laughs> If
2: you, if you look specifically at the Mandiant report, um, they're looking for things that would be um, directly related to China. So um, if your business was in direct competition with China, then you're at a higher risk. Or if your business closely aligned with um, an economic gain within China, then, yeah, you're going to be at risk, as opposed to, um, you know, somebody that was a little bit smaller business or somebody that was doing things like, you know, I'd uh, say like, you know, you know one-off ice creams. So somebody yeah. that was doing like, you know, one-off ice cream flavors or something like that would probably be at a significantly lower risk as opposed to um, like Coca-Cola that Mike brought up.
0: Well, you're saying what, they don't like, they don't like ice cream over there? <laughs> <laughs>
1: the world loves ice cream.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: Uh, our next article comes from uh, Trend Micro again. Uh, you know, I think Trend put out a lot of uh, a, a lot of interesting articles. I I really enjoyed reading them. Uh, but it could be, I think, for RSA, you know, lots of fodder for people to talk about. I think they create a lot of buzz. Yeah. Uh, same with FireEye. We we saw a lot of things from FireEye this week.
0: Yeah, they've had a, quite a few announcements this week. Um, yeah. They're going in with other companies to create new tools and a couple other things. You know, that was all announced at RSA as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and how about I, the I, timing of, of Mandiant and the merger with uh with Eyes are on different products. Uh, it, how about the timing of that? You had RSA, you had uh, the Mandiant report and and now FireEye is Oh, that
0: that, that was up. that was all planned, I'm sure. I mean, that's that's how yeah. you get the buzz, you know, pre-show buzz. So, that's why you heard all the noise before the show as far as all the news goes and everything and then during the show the announcements. That's just the way they get you know, everybody talking about them. It's yeah. the
2: bandwidth. Then the,
0: the bandwagon. Mandy
2: got, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mandy got a lot of got a lot of bandwagon jumpers and everybody now are just really trying to put these these relationships together. I mean, even Trend's doing it, Semantic's doing it, FireEye's doing it. It's I think it's it's the Mandy bandwagon is what we're seeing.
0: Yeah. Also, I have a feeling you know that report was kind of held back to be released when it was. I mean, it could have been ready a couple weeks before or it was you know destined to be done by the RSA. It does be For the from, RSA yeah, promotional tool.
1: Yeah, and we've, as we talked before, uh, it's all about searchability, you know, uh, tagging. And, you know, if you want to be, a, if, you, if you're still looking at Mandiant, you know, then you're going to uh, come up with a bunch of FireEye articles. So, and Trend articles and Semantic articles. Right. I do want to go back to one of our other uh, uh, Trend Lab uh, articles. It's from alarming to familiar, uh, different social engineering techniques. Um, and I thought this was pretty interesting too. Um, uh, they had the old watering hole technique, uh, which which John is uh, very familiar with. Uh, but also is that they blend in with the uh, the victim's normal behavior, and that way they can set off less alarms for it.
2: Um, there are a lot of things, and like we said, that 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 Mandy report was a was a pretty heavy read, but it was very eye opening and. And the fact that um, what they were trying to do was um, not necessarily craft code to avoid signature detection, but craft code to just blend in with what is normal traffic. Because you know one of the things that we talk about is, is whitelisting your network. So um, one of the things that they're doing on the social engineering techniques is, is to blend in with what is normal, right down to slang. I mean, they are very aware yeah. of slang used within different regions, and and when they're doing these social engineering attacks, they're even they're finding people that are familiar with the slang of your area.
1: Uh, not only the slang of your area, but what about corporate slang? You know, if you go into one corporation, they have all these terms and acronyms, and you know, if you if you're able to get a couple of those, put them on emails, you might get people are less likely
2: to think it's a fish. I, I can tell you there are a couple of keywords that if you use within um, my normal day-to-day business, um, you you will really, really, really turn down um, people's sense of awareness. Uh, you just sprinkle in a couple of these keywords, like you said, these corporate-specific terms. And you can get people to um, sit back and be a lot more relaxed and when they should be actually paying attention.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things where a little research on the company, you know, if they're doing their job, yeah. that definitely helps them get in through the door a little bit quicker.
1: That's why companies should be aware of what they're putting out in press releases, I imagine. That's true. Yeah. Uh, going on to our next article, uh, Ichitaro vulnerability, another zero-day exploit in a while, and I, I believe that this one centers mostly in Japan. Is that is that right?
2: This is this is something that um semantic has done a good job reporting, um and it's good to see that that you know everybody is just keeping their eye on everything because, um, just because it's only being reported in Japan doesn't mean that. You know somebody can work on the exploit, fine-tune the exploit to get it to start to bridge the nation. So Semantics says that they've seen this um, exploit being utilized since around mid-January, even though they want to call it another zero-day exploit. Um, but when they saw this, they saw it specific and to Japan, and they actually saw it specific to a Japanese word processor um, software called Ichitaro. So right now, um, it has been uh, very regionally contained. Um, but I think the concern is is, is that um, somebody can invest a little more time in this and see if they can get it to break out beyond Japan.
1: Yep, uh, zeltzer had a good article. Uh, what to include in malware analysis report? And I'd really urge you to uh, read this one. Um, you know, if, if you're putting out reports. Uh, it really broke it down. Make sure you have those hashes in there. Make sure you try to address what the IV was, the initial uh, in, initial infection vector. Uh, but it was a really good read. I, I really encourage everybody to read that one.
0: It's actually a good Mike, read. You, it's a good read if you're doing first engineering. That's one of the things they teach you in class. But this is actually a really good example of what you want to include in a, in a report you put back.
1: Yeah. And you, Mike, you provide a lot of these reports. So do you have any suggestions or anything to add to that? that
0: report no actually it was really good um like I said in class they kind of give you an example of what you should return but this has even gave me more when I went through and did the actual um practical test I wish I would have had this because I mean I gave back what I thought I was giving but I could have given a few more details probably based on the report so it was, it's a good it's yeah. a good read if you're in the reverse engineering malware yeah.
1: And, you know, you never know. Uh, if you're preparing a report, you never know what might be important to someone else who's reading it, you know, or someone who's connecting the dots. I know, Mike, you do a lot of that. Right. Uh, say, okay, you get this piece of information, but you might be getting another piece of information as well. You, you just never know what, what could be important to a report.
0: Right. I mean, and like, in, like in our environment that we work in, we like to know when callbacks are because we can control where they go and and throw them into you know. a fire eye box and a few other things to – to know who's infected, so those kind of things are important. Where some people might not be able to do that, it's not as important to them as to know where do I find it to remove it. So it's all different. Different people need different things.
1: Yeah. John, what do you think? What's the most important piece of information you could find in a report like that?
0: Well, the the
2: report to me
0: more keeps in
2: mind um, sometimes when I get into an analysis, um, I get tunnel vision so having a report ready like that keeps me from getting tunnel vision because I'll get locked into something that I feel is more valuable for my team and and what we need for response that I may forget um, information that I should be proposing to Mike's team and what they need to respond. so reports like that really help me um, from getting tunnel vision and from locking in too hard as opposed to being able to take that step back and give a good in-depth analysis
1: yeah. Well, our next—I think we t- went talked about this one already—but FireEye had uh, lots of uh, announcements this week. Uh, it, you think FireEye is going to be a big player here with new products?
0: I think so. I mean, they're the products they have are already great, and they're just adding to it and expanding yeah. that. So um, it looks like what they're doing with this one is trying to get more of the incident management side to it, which. Um, you know, they can report back, but they don't really have the tool to track necessarily. They have very basic stuff built into their products to be able to track and assign and stuff like that. So I think that they're trying to expand that now to be more of a full-fledged management system. So that's why I'm getting out of their, their um, the guidance software merger, or not merger, but their work together, the partnership.
1: It seems like they're going more to the behavioral side as well. We, we've been talking about that all night. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be behavioral.
0: And that's What's one. That, that's one of the things where they really excel is their behavior because they can, you know, put the the malware into a VM and explode it and see what it does and and track everything that it does and give you a report on that. So that's that's their strength, I think. Um, you know, and to do that live as people are downloading stuff and to grab it off the stream and, and explode it. Uh, that's that's pretty amazing, actually, if you think about it. But then they can do it yeah. to email, so they're spreading out their they're widening their their reach, and now they're trying to widen the reach the management side of it as well.
2: Yeah, it's a natural progression of their platform because um, FireEye is still very young. They have a great product. Um, they're they're off to a great start, and, and I think you know they're just trying to grow on it.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a pretty impressive product. I mean, I I love it. It's Simple to set up, and it's very powerful. What it does for you and the amount of time it does it is pretty amazing, actually.
1: Yeah, simple to set up. Those are the key words, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> uh, Bit9, uh, this one has been bouncing around for a couple weeks. Um, you know, they continue to believe that the attack against Bit9 was part of a larger campaign to against uh, other U.S. organizations. Uh, this one just keeps gaining traction. You know, it started as a smaller article, but uh, we just can't seem to shake it here. And well, I believe nine, that it was. Go ahead, Dennis. Go ahead. Uh, but that it was a SQL injection attack, I, I believe. Um, Bit9 bit is,
2: you know, they, they make their money off of security products. And um, for the news to come out that uh, they had some of their keys breached. Um, you know they're they're basically armchair quarterbacking this. There's information there to be gathered. Um, they what they probably did was they came out with their initial statement to release um, that they did have a compromise. Um, the best thing is is to maintain your integrity. You have to maintain your integrity in the security community. And now that they've been given more time, you know they're going to release more information on what they found um, and and try to get a full disclosure. Um, a little bit of all of it is to, um, you know, one, to protect themselves and two, to share with the, uh, the, the security community because they, they do state that um, they believe the scope of the attack um, remained the, the landing point from an SQL injection attack. Um, so they go to add to what they believe is the initial infection vector was, was SQL. Um, they go to speak to that um, that this was possibly a small part of a um, larger campaign um, being used to um, infiltrate select U.S. organizations. So um, they think that Bit9 um, was you know, just one of the pawns in a larger campaign.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty scary stuff there, I think. Um, speaking of scary, Punk Spider enumerates web application vulnerabilities. Um, you know, I, I, I would think that we would see less of these actually, uh, but that there are several of these uh, uh, spiders out there that just spider the web, and some of them are just—they're just looking for web vulnerabilities. Some are just just poking and prodding, and part of that low level—it's the first part of a low-level attack um there's going to be more about this but they don't really think it is a uh a, you know they have to see what the vulnerabilities that it's going to come up with first what's what's the poor uh firewalls on on the perimeter are going to do uh w- what's the, the best protection for that mike
0: firewalls on the perimeter yeah. i mean yeah. um, that's you got to this goes back to the whole layered approach a firewall is is okay but it still doesn't um protect you as much as a layered approach would. I mean, firewalls haven't really been improved in I don't know how long. I mean, the firewall is a firewall. It blocks by port its full function yep. hasn't really changed in years. I mean, they've added things to it to do uh, threat detection and build, try to build that into the firewall to make them you know, th- uh, threat appliances so they um, do multiple things. But I don't believe firewall is going to be the answer to this one.
1: Yeah. Uh, our next one is uh, Symantec uh, mandiat reports uh, so everybody's jumping on to Mandiot. this will probably be the last time tonight we'll talk about Mandiant, Uh but but John I know that uh, you uh, you read this one and had some uh, thoughts on it
2: this um, this one is
1: meant for um, more like users like us um, more for
2: um, the the admins um, the uh, upper-level IT, either security or, or, or system administrators. Um, what semantic has done is the semantic has um, taken some of the information off of the document released by Mandiant and just basically turned it into raw data. Um, it's hash, it's hash sums, um, it's IP address, it's domains, it's HTTP gets, it's um, everything that you're gonna need to um, help bolster um, your defenses to detect if um, you have a compromise that's being utilized or known or discovered through um, what they call the comment crew or apt1 or the um, you know People's Liberation Army of China um, and you know whether you want to, to use these is up to you but I think it is um, you know it's it's very usable information um, and it would be um, very worth your time just to look at it. Um, they formatted in a way also that if you're going to integrate it, it is um, within a usable format and you can integrate it into your devices relatively easily.
1: Yeah, Did, uh, I know that we went through a lot of that uh, report. Uh, what, what was, for both of you, what, what was the most uh, interesting thing you took out of the Mandiant report?
2: Um mine was the fact that they actually had somebody's network compromised for over four years.
0: <laughs> that, yeah, that, that was that was a little scary actually because <laughs> you think you within four years you would know that you were compromised or if you, I
2: you, mean, you yeah, the technologies is especially around, you know, our field Changes so rapidly that you you would have figured somebody would have caught on within four years. But the fact that they were able to sit in somebody's network for four years is is, to me is really impressive. Um, Scary, but impressive.
0: But, you know, know, I know some medium sized companies that would be just as bad. that wouldn't even know they were in there. And actually, if you talk to them, they don't even feel threatened by the stuff that's going on. They just don't.
1: That's right.
0: They just don't care. I mean. Which is scary. I just don't realize how bad things are getting, you know.
1: Yeah. For one, they don't think that they have anything that's worth stealing.
0: Right. And, and second, and, all, and,
1: they just don't have the resources to constantly look and, devo- you know, uh, look at all the information. They have. It, even if they have the tools in place, you know, who has time to to look at all the logs, you know.
0: Yeah, I know some companies don't even have the tools in place. They think a firewall is all they need, you know, and yeah. an antivirus thrown in. They don't think about all the other issues. And I know ones that take... Credit cards, and because they don't store them locally, they think they're safe. But they don't realize that if they're taking the credit card and put it into the system, it's just yeah. as a risk as if it's sitting there, you know, at rest. Because they have to type it in or scan it in somehow. That means it still yeah. passes through their systems. So,
2: yeah. I think the other thing that that sparks my interest is um, the amount of effort used on the um, spear phishing or targeted phishing campaigns. Um, Uh, well beyond what you see on your your typical um, botnet attacks or um, where they they have um, actual recorded instances of where um, users kind of suspected something wasn't quite right um, that they actually had people sitting at the other end answering them telling them no no it's okay it's legitimate that it it wasn't an automated response they they had people Actually, watching these attacks um, in hopes that somebody would do a reply and then, um, you know, respond with answers convincingly enough to say, "Hey, really trust us. You know, you really need to download this. This is not something fake." So, um, you know, that that's a lot of man hours. You know, invested man hours for um, you know just to hook that one device.
1: Yeah, but it, and it only took one. I guess that's the, the takeaway. They only needed to get to one, and then they could expand out from there.
2: Yeah, and they, and you know they would talk about that. That once they got one, um, and they got in, that um, they would quickly look to move laterally. Um, that they would mm-hmm. try to expand their 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 grass from there.
1: Yep. And uh, fishing goes mobile. This is the um, another article from Trend Micro. Um, and there was a lot of interesting stats in here. 75% of the mobile phishing URLs were rogue versions of well-known banking and financial sites. You know, So they're I, looking for login credentials.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I don't think this is as new as what I remember. It's like a new. I think we've had yeah. this longer. I think it's becoming more prominent. But yeah. I think that you know they've been talking about mobile stuff, mobile advertising, all this other stuff for two years now at least. And I think it's all came with it. I just think now it's growing to the point where it's actually becoming a more serious issue at this point.
2: Well, there. I mean, I can tell you there was a time where, um, you know, smartphones were the gadgets. It was if you one were either an IT professional and you wanted to show your your geekiness, or two, if you had the money and you wanted to show everybody that you had the money. But that mobile devices are are becoming, um, you know, as as common as. Is um, PCs. You know, back in the days, PCs weren't that common, and now you can find at least two in almost every home, I think. Um, And what's interesting is Mike says is it's not anything new so much as it's growing. Um, You know, Trend Micro goes on to explain that um, in 2012 they found over 4,000 phishing URLs designated specifically for mobile devices.
0: Right. Which, you wow. know, f- and, and ultimately 4,000 isn't really that much. But um, I think it's a lot for mobile. And, and I think it's going to, that's just a start. I think it's getting ready to explode. Because like you said, everybody has a phone now that's more than likely smart in some way they can get on the web. Because so many of that, I mean, I don't know anybody, I can't think anybody off the top of my head, actually has a phone that you flip open anymore. So they almost <laughs> all have a web browser of some kind, some kind of smart. Even a feature phone has a web browser on it. Might not yeah. be as at as at risk as something like an Android that runs Java, but um, for phishing, it doesn't matter because they're just going to ask you for information and you're going to give it to them. So I
1: think Dennis has the oldest phone I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> are we picking on BlackBerry again? I already admitted that I use Windows IE. Are, are we picking on my BlackBerry?
0: <laughs> so um, I also have a
1: for reference last... for an ancient video game too. So I'm not I'm not doing well too well to Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, old, old games are coming back, there, Dennis. I mean, you can buy you yeah, can buy yeah. all of the uh, old games now, and in, in console form, and it's, it comes with like twenty of them or whatever. And you can you know play all it's your like old games.
2: Too. What, what's old is new in malware too. Yep. Um, and, and to wrap on this last comment on on fishing goes mobile, I think is. Um, you know every, everybody likes to do their surveys and they like to do their their studies on what's going on out there and what the opinion of the general public is and and uh, um, there was one statement in the entire article that just um... I mean just flashed red lights to me and it was um the, the issue is that users attitudes towards mobile devices um, are that um, users easily dismiss these devices as simple devices and not a major security
0: implication to um, their data. And you know, I that that's scary to me be because the phones these days are more powerful than the computer I learned on. So by far more yeah. more powerful. You know, just in the last 20 years, the phones we have are more more powerful than what you would buy as a new home computer. Much more powerful. So yeah. it just it's just so attached to them and with them every day, and it just it's just part of their life, and they just kind of get used to that and to forget that it's really a powerful. Computer in their pocket.
1: Yeah. Well, our next article was another big one, um, and uh, you're gonna have to explain this uh, headline to me. Microsoft admits it was also hit by hackers. That I understand. Malware infects their Mac business unit. How how big is this Mac business unit for at Microsoft?
0: It's actually bigger. It's pretty good size. It's it's Office. You know, it's their main thing yeah. is their Office suite. Um, yeah. So I'm. I mean, I'm wondering if you know the Macs had the. Uh, advantage of people are not really have been attacking it, but I think as it's becoming more popular. It's going to start becoming a victim as well. So um, there's always been that rumor that you can't get infected with a Mac, which you can. Obviously you can. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just that they weren't the target. So you were less likely to get infected, but you can still get infected. In fact, these recent Java exploits you know, affected Macs as well as it did PC. So it wasn't necessarily limited to, to a PC for that. In fact, it would infect, yeah. it would infect um, Linux as well. They were, you know, they were, Equal Opportunity Infectors.
2: <laughs> and, Mike, and Mike is right on that. So the, um, uh, the small number of computers admitted by Microsoft um, were um, to include their Mac business units. Um, they were basically um, attacked in um, a similar fashion as those that um, the Facebook and Apple um, technical people were in the sense that it was a um, exploitation of a Java browser plug-in vulnerability. So, um, and we spoke to that earlier that Java has the ability to cross platforms.
0: Yeah, and I have so- a, I have a theory with this too because. Um, the rumor is they're coming out with Microsoft Office for iPad and iPhone, or for iPad at least. I don't know about iPhone. Oh. So huh. I'm, I'm wondering if that same business unit is the one who's doing that, and they were on that very same site that infected Twitter and Facebook, and that's uh, how yeah. they got it. Yeah. That's kind of my theory because I've been hearing rumors it's, they're coming out with a, with a, an iPad version of their Office suite. So I'm wondering. That Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that article did say it was the same type of Facebook and Apple uh, attack. So
0: it could have been the same yeah, site. I, I mean, it could be. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay. you know this. Uh, that headline reminds me of the old days when uh, Microsoft—you could actually see on their websites. Uh, you know, then you could see what kind of device was or what kind of server you were using. And for years, they used a, a Linux server to power their own
0: uh, uh, website, Microsoft.com. Really, I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually kind of yeah. funny.
1: Uh, they changed all that. They they got rid of that. that took a lot of heat
0: from that. Yeah, if they did it now, they get a lot more heat because you know they run. They have their own cloud service. That's you know for hosting. So if they weren't well, hosting on their own service, they would really get get some heat for that. But no, I did uh, not know that. That's actually kind of interesting. <laughs> uh,
1: another article by Trend Micro. They were, they were very busy the last couple of weeks. Um, it's uh, Watering a Hole. Uh, John, I I think this is your specialty, isn't it? Yeah, I, I for for all the wrong reasons, um, and they go into why. Can
2: you hear me?
0: Oh, I think we lost him. You go keep talking, John. I'll get him back. Okay. Um, you
2: can, but you can hear me, Mike. I hear you just fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it it comes on the tails of the um attack that Microsoft admits to being used. So. Um, watering hole was one of the techniques that was used to leverage the um, Java browser plugin vulnerability um, in the sense that um, watering holes have been around for a while so what people don't understand is is that watering holes um, have been seen as early as 2009 Um, they're not new they have been around for a while Um, but with the resurgence of all the vulnerabilities that we're seeing online um, it's a technique that becomes viable so, um, so now that we have several um, vulnerabilities in the wild that can be leveraged, um, why not resurface an attack that um, can be easily used? So um, watering holes are effective because essentially you, you need three things. Um, you don't need a lure to bait people in with. Uh, you don't have to come up with some kind of fancy subject line. You know, you want a million dollars or come get your free Google glasses. Um, basically, what you need is is you need to um, identify a site with a security hole, um, and then you compromise the site. Uh, once you compromise the site, then you need to have a vulnerability in the wild that's exploitable, and in our case. Um, there were several PDF and Java vulnerabilities that were available in the wild that could be leveraged, and then the third thing you need is you just need to develop malware that uses or exploits the vulnerability. So the three things that you really need is 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 a compromised site, a vulnerability that you can leverage, and malware that you can plant within the site.
0: Right, and we got to say this is how the LA Times was hit as well because. They um yes. they they were infected and I don't know how long they didn't know it because like almost a month and a half, and um they were using the same type techniques where it's a watering hole. Everybody was going to this page to get something news in this case, and somebody had exploited the site with something they can install.
2: Yeah, and they caught the developers at Facebook this way, at Microsoft, at Apple. So, um, you know what is what's old is new. Um, it's worked in the past. We just. You know, have a lot of vulnerabilities out there right now, and, and uh, it's easy to just to have
1: people
0: come to you. That's right. And I think we have Dennis back now. No, I'm here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's
1: A little different tonight, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> Testing <and> technology.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, the last article I think we'd like to go over is uh, Wired. I always like to get the Wired articles. I, w- I wish we had more of them, uh, but sometimes they just don't fit in the security model. Uh, but they talked about the Twitter, the Tumblr, the, the Pinterest uh, uh, exploits. Um, what do, what, we see? A lot of the of the Twitter accounts being attacked. Uh, what kind of information can we get from these?
0: From the Twitter, uh, the Twitter accounts themselves. You're talking about. So, yeah. I mean, you know, they have your email. They have some bio information. Which, if you're, if you're, you shouldn't be putting too much information in your bio. You know, about about yourself. Uh, but well, I think a lot of times what they're trying to do is trying to get to your list and and trying to send to you your list. People think it's you, and they try to try. They typically trust the link if it's somebody that follows you, you know. So they're trying to find the people that have big lists, especially. You know, you get somebody like, but Justin Bieber what's he like twenty five million followers or something like that? They could break into that account. They'd probably love it because you know all of his little kitty fans are gonna want to click on whatever he sends them. So I think that's what they're trying to do for the for mainly, but. Um, it also gives them email addresses to do phishing as well, so there's a bunch of information like that um, but again there 's not much personal information there with the exception of maybe you know, John mentioned earlier about keeping different email passwords and and other account yeah. passwords. you can get up your password from there maybe but yeah. um, do one
2: of the things I think of what it does is um you know we we all know about spoofing headers um, you know you can you can spoof a header but um, within you know the IT security realm, um, we can pick up on those pretty quickly. But if you if you're able to get into things like um, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, um, you know it's it's you it's you know it's the the wolves in, in sheep's clothing. You know it's I think it's easier to hide yourself. And try to trick people into thinking that, um, you know, if I get Mike's Twitter account, they're they're gonna go, well, hey, Mike sent something to me. This is a little more safe. Let me click it.
0: Yeah, at least you hope it was safe. Somebody you trust, you think it would be it'd be safe. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So and and there uh, are. I can I can tell you that I I would. I would fall victim to something like that. That um, you know, there are some people that I know are a little more um, security savvy. That um, I tend to let my guard down with them, and and I'm you know I'm I've, I'm just as as you know fallible as anybody else. That I'll see that um, from somebody that I know that I work in the security field. That I would hope. They were doing the right thing, you know, and I make those assumptions so I can fall into those traps pretty easily also.
0: So, you know, I just had something like this happen to me um, on Facebook. Somebody sent out something and it wasn't necessarily from me, but I was somehow involved in it. And my name was on the graphic they sent out saying that these five people just recommended this or just did this or can't like, remember what it was. And uh, I think it was like uh, I, an iPad test thing. I know. Mean, you guys follow me on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but then um, – as soon as I saw it go out and I realized my name was on there that I didn't put my name on there i immediately usually comment at the bottom this is a scam do not do it and it came from me so they would know that you know my name may be on there but I did not do that so
2: I, I try to do the same thing um, you know and, and I do a little bit of Facebook lurking I like to watch what um, my friends are doing as opposed to comment um, and then you know when I catch them get sucked into one of those repost 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 um, I will basically pick one person, hit one person, and then just, you know, start the circulation of, hey, you just got scammed.
0: And, yeah, and, and you, then, you like, know, bro. I, um, I have some friends that do those reposting things a lot. And um, the last week, Security 101, or two weeks ago, was about Facebook settings. And when I was researching that, I did not realize they've added the ability to basically not necessarily ignore people, but like don't get uh, app requests from certain people. Cause I had some people that were like every day where I kind not get this play this game with me type thing. And yeah. I just don't do that. So, but they now allow you to either buy the app or by the person, ignore app requests. Cause for a while I was just ignoring the people in general because they kept sending it to me. And I didn't necessarily yeah. want to ignore their post, but I didn't want, I was getting tired of the, the app request. So yeah. that's something I, that's, I don't know how long it was put it in there, but when I was researching the Facebook stuff, that's why I, I found that's kind of interesting. You know,
1: there's there's a bunch of those um, that uh, are little advertised uh, older uh, settings that you can do for Facebook. There, there's another one like that that if you know somebody who is a, who has passed on and a, has a Facebook account, you know that could be compromised. You know nobody's using that account and somebody could eventually uh, brute force the uh, the password to get in and represent that person. But you can actually request Facebook if you know somebody you can have a request, and you have to provide some documentation. And what they'll do is they'll put a memory wall up, uh, but they'll make the account no longer active.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. That's kind of interesting. I mean, yeah. I saw a report reporter concerning, link. is that how you do that in Facebook?
1: I'm I'm not sure. I have the article. I'll send, the, uh, send that out in the show notes.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting. To, I mean, not that we deal with that kind of stuff every day, but it's one of those things where it'd be nice to know if something like that happened, you could you know, at least help somebody else out through that. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that happens to families all the time, you know, you know grandparents or whatever, you know, pass. Well, and... I,
1: I think the, the, one of the uh, awkward scenarios that they present is, you know, a lot of people put their birthdays. Well, when, when the birthday comes to somebody who's passed on, you know, you get the birthday wish, you know, the thing. You know, that's one of the things that they want to uh, avoid, you know. And Facebook is totally in agreement they don't want to put anybody that uh, bring up bad memories or anything like that. They'd rather, you know, do a tribute thing instead. And I thought sure, that was a sure. Pretty- Well, uh, you can get Security Decoded delivered automatically to your favorite device by subscribing to our netcast at your favorite podcast directly, like iTunes. Also, subscribe to your YouTube channel to get regular updates as well. If you listen to Stitcher Radio, subscribe to use to get Security Decoded automatically every week. Uh, We also have a Twitter account that you can follow to get the latest news and information. Uh, You can find all these details by going to Security Decoded TV. Uh, if you have TiVo, you can watch us by getting a season pass to Security Decoded. More ways to watch and listen are on the way, too. So um, usually we end this with a, with a couple of, uh, of things that are in the news, and I have a couple. Uh, one of them is, is that we have the snow, and uh, what comes after all the snow season is is spring and spring cleaning. So I wanted to hit you guys up. What, what's your security spring cleaning function that you guys like? and I also have another one. I, I read an article about uh, the odd things that people steal. Um, and it was an interesting article. But one of, two of the top things were Tide detergent and razor blades. Then uh, uh, pet food was another one, just these odd things that you wouldn't think about. I, I, the other thing I want to throw out there to you guys is, uh, what do you think the piece of information that you have that, that can be stolen that you wouldn't think about? Uh, we know about taxes and, uh, you know, one thing I have on my computer is a list of people's birthdays. And, uh, you know, that could be valuable to somebody and uh, things like that. So so what do you guys think? Either the spring cleaning or the what you think might be valuable that people wouldn't think to uh, kind of data that you could steal. Mike, I'll let you go first.
0: Okay. Um, well, sp- spring cleaning – as far as security stuff goes, I mean, every year, I, and I do this in January, I don't do it necessarily in spring, is I take last year's documents uh, and I typically compress them into a zip file with a password just okay. so they're not sitting around in the open. Uh, I put them on a thumb drive, and I actually stored a thumb drive, and you ever seen one of those puzzle boxes where it's like 11 steps to get it open? I just sit on my desk. It's a, it's a novelty item, but I stick that in there once a year and uh, clean up my documents. Uh, I do leave them on my computer as well in the zip file because I need to go back to get them. But yeah. uh, they are password protected, so if something that got on my machine and they couldn't go back to my old documents, which could include taxes or scanned forms, like the houses, house right. we just bought, things like that. So um, that's my spring cleaning. I do that every January. I do it with email, too, sending an email. Um, as that's far a good as idea. As far as things to steal, you know, you mentioned about addresses and birth dates, and I actually have a lot of that on my machine in the form of family tree documents and things like that. Oh, and yeah. and it has social security numbers in it and things like that. Some of them are deceased, obviously. But right. as going through the research, you get that social security information from them. But I do have birthdays and addresses of aunts and uncles. And I never really thought about that so much, you know, about because that could be valuable to somebody. If you have your name and address and a phone number, that's a lot of information for somebody to, to get credit with. So
1: You know, not only that, you know, one of the uh, the standard password challenge questions is, uh, what's your father's middle name, what's your, or your mother's name? maiden is, name. You yeah. Grew up in? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I never even thought yeah, about that,
1: that. That could be valuable. Yeah. Yeah. John, what do you
0: yeah.
1: think?
2: Um, and I, and my, my, my thing about stealing information really aligns with, um, with Mike and what you said in, in its genealogy data. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of applications out there about, getting to know your family tree and and how much of that data people you know they they forget how important that is and and it is a lot of security questions and what people don't realize is is a lot of that also our passwords there even though it's not recommended you know someone's password is probably their first born child's birthday yeah you know um, or their three kids' names, you know. Um, you know, you're th- th- keeping your family, family. You know what I mean? Keeping your personal life, your personal business. I think is very important. And and uh, um, in the Facebook age, I think people forget about that. So um, those are things that you can find out just by going. Well, how do you know this person? Are they family? And, you know, through your friends list, you can start to map this person's family by who's marked as family, who's marked as acquaintance or close friends. Um, you know, it's, it's – I think it was a fad. Uh, everybody jumped on board with it and they thought it was neat um, without thinking how far reaching the consequences are going to be now. Um, I, you know, I put this data out there now. It's searchable now. It gets a little hard to start protecting that so you know you you gotta kind of keep uh, family um at home keep keep uh keep your private stuff at home um and as far as as spring cleaning um you know Dennis, you just saw what i did the the other week for us um i I like mike I tend not to necessarily do it around January, but um you know two thousand and twelve is for two thousand and twelve <laughs> I'll start to do some cleanups to separate the years, um, to you know, compress some pictures and uh, to make sure that um, my historical data, like you know, pictures from 2012, emails from 2012, documents 2012, um, I compress them down, password protect them and store them on an external device and then I start fresh with 2013 and, and start to build my data for 2013.
1: Well, great. That wraps up our show. Uh, for show notes from the show, you can contact uh, details and more. Go to Security Decoded TV website, uh, where you can get show notes and watch all the other episodes of Security Decoded. I believe we've re- uh, referenced uh, Security 101 a couple times tonight, and I bet you we have a couple of uh, topics come out of this show that uh, that we thought about. Uh, while there, check out the other great shows at Tech Zen TV, and we'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can contact us via Twitter or email. And next time, hopefully we won't have any snow we'll all be in the studio, and uh, we'll see you next time. Good night.
0: Night. For show notes for this show, contacts, and more, go to the techzen.tv website where you can get show notes for all of our shows. We love to hear from our viewers and listeners. We have an email, a Twitter, and a phone number where you can contact us for each show. For details, visit the techzen.tv website and get the show details. You can also make a video and upload it somewhere like YouTube or Vimeo and then just send us a link. You never know, you may see your video in a future show. You can get all of our shows delivered automatically to your favorite device by going to your favorite podcast website like iTunes and subscribing. Each of our shows also has a YouTube channel you can subscribe to to get regular updates. Our shows are also available on most internet radio networks like Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. You can also watch and listen to our shows on Xbox, TiVo, and Roku. You can even find us on your Zoom.